Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Rose's name is Rose. And uh, folks, it's been a few weeks. I uh, took a little time off after after Halloween, uh, but we're back and it, the wait has been worth it because we are talking about the Twilight Saga, Twilight. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> a certified expert on the line. I'm joking. I'm joking, but I do know a lot about it. Sure, sure. We we love to have, I mean, you know, for, for our Riverdale episode, which was a couple months ago now, we had two people who have, like, written papers about Riverdale. <laughs> so oh, my God. We, yeah. We like yeah. to have that. Um, to be honest with you, if we were still at Sarah Lawrence, I have an entire dissertation in my head that I will eventually write. But if we were still at Sarah Lawrence, I would have already written a paper on Twilight. So, like, I'm not quite as far off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as always, I do have, uh, I, I've compiled some history, you know, some, some, some table setting for before we get into the movie itself. Uh, but I would like to know a little bit about your history with Twilight. Okay. So I was like, to not go super deep into it. I was like one of those hashtag, not like other girls back in the day. Um, I know classic, um, and so when Twilight originally came out, I was like, I'm not reading that. Everyone likes that. Mm-mm-mm. Same, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Um, by the time, and like, I, but I was always a big reader and a huge reader of young adult fantasy and young adult in general. And by the time New Moon, and, or not New Moon, I'm sorry, Breaking Dawn came out, I was I had I had caught up and had read the whole series and so breaking when breaking dawn came out um I was not allowed to read it and I of course read it anyway um so and you know that was kind of that that was and then that was one era and then I kind of moved away from it and I kind of you know grew up and of course twilight became a very like taboo thing to be saying in the in the reader circles for a very long time mm-hmm. um and then in the middle of quarantine, um, Stephanie Meyer dropped Midnight Sun, which, if no, if you don't know, is Twilight from Edward's point of view. Um, it's just literally the entire of Twilight from Edward's point of view. It is 200 pages longer than the original book. And there's like so much more information in there. And that kind of catapulted my current obsession um, was knowing that Stephanie because I was obsessed with the draft that she released like back in 12, 2007 2008 2009 something in that range when it got leaked um so she released it and said that she was never ever ever going to write the whole thing and had like four different tantrums in the process of writing this whole thing saying that she was never going to release it and finally in 2020 she dropped Midnight Sun and that really just restarted my entire twilight obsession and is the basis for my like it's part of the basis for my essay that I have in my head and all of that. So that's, that's kind of my, and now again, now, you know, we just went to Italy and we went to where new moon was filmed and we had a, I like forced my family to come with me on a twilight tour. Like that, that's the level we're talking about now. So nice. that's my kind of, that's my kind of short history with twilight. (laughs) Cool. You know, it's funny. Uh, One of the things I uncovered in my research is that like Stephanie Meyer gave Robert Pattinson, the Midnight Sun, to like prepare for the role, 
And I, just just knowing Robert, as 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 we all do now, I think it would be funny if he was the one who leaked it. <laughs> that would be so funny, and I would not be surprised in any sort of way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's hysterical. Oh yeah. Oh my god, that boy hates th- that boy hates this film. I think more than anyone mm-hmm. that ever worked on it. <laughs> <laughs> really oh. funny stuff. I feel like I was definitely the same way in terms of being like you know just just like as a matter of fact uh opposed to twilight when i was a kid and then i've never read the books i actually saw the movie for the first time preparing for this podcast really yeah (laughs) i'm honored to be the reason you watched the movie i am truly honored great but i i do feel like i over time just sort of got over whatever hangups i had about it um and part of that is you know the the twilight babies grew up and uh <laughs> you know there, there's been a cultural uh resurgence because of it yeah um, yeah i mean hot topic is making merch again which should tell you something yeah but i also i honestly think that like the proliferation of you know a big part of it obviously as we'll get into is that uh kristen stewart and robert pattinson are now considered like two of the great talents of their generation mm-hmm. and as they've continued to have these very successful and high profile roles i think some of those old twilight interviews <laughs> have have you know gone viral again and brought twilight back into the conversation yeah absolutely and i also think that like a lot of other things nowadays i don't know if you've kind of run into this thought process but i know i definitely have um both on the internet and just with like people that i meet in my circle of friends is just like people just have stopped caring about what's cringe and what isn't Mm -hmm. like in, in the best way possible you just go yeah bro i'm obsessed with twilight and people go uh okay and you're like I don't really care what you (laughs) think about it. I'm obsessed with Twilight or like, you know, any of those other things. And I think, I think that plus, you know, like you said, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson becoming so much more high profile nowadays and like people just rewatching the movies and reading the books because they watched the movies and enjoyed them has brought a whole, yeah, like you said, a whole new, um, a whole new kind of viewership and a whole new idea about Twilight. And listen, listen, every single person that I know that loves Twilight is also super critical of it and critical in the, in the way that's like, can you believe that's how they shot that? Like, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, but that's part of the fun also. That is, that's part of the fun. And I think it's all, I think it's all really fun and really, I don't know where I'm sorry. I'm, I lost my train of thought where I was going with that, but I think, I think you understand (laughs) Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing, uh, the death of cringe, because on the one hand, I think I talk a lot about the golden age of haters in the late <laughs> aughts, early tens, where, you know, a- a- anyone who was anyone was being a hater. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's there's the backlash to that, but there's also this culture the, the this i think trend in mass media going back to the 80s of like getting adults invested in media for children um, <laughs> which is sort of a, a more critical angle on it i guess but um like disney convincing people that the only movies they need to see are disney movies right 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 right, right. i completely see what you mean 
And I think that is another element of um, Twilight. I, you know, I think if this movie, I was watching it and I was like, if this movie got made today, just mostly as is, like, but like modernized, I feel mm-hmm. like it would be seen as like a like, like a weird it would be seen as like an a24 movie like <laughs> that the vibes are not normal <laughs> that's the most incredible thing i've ever heard i'm not gonna lie to you that's the most incredible thing i've ever heard i'm gonna tell ruth that and he's gonna lose his mind laughing that's the most incredible thing i've ever heard i agree with you and i agree with you and i actually was just re-watching the first movie to also prepare for this because as much as i know a lot about these books and the films like I, you know, I haven't watched it in a minute. So I, I was rewatching the first movie and you're, you're entirely correct. I can totally see this being an A24 trailer. Like just the coloring alone, the coloring mm-hmm. alone would do it. Um, but, but also honestly, the cinematography, I mean, we're going to get into the movie, but like the, yeah. the cinematography is very interesting in a lot of this movie. Yeah. And you, I would assume, you know, more about cinematography than I do, to be entirely honest with you. Um, so you know, I, I do I do have a little bit of film um, in me and I definitely am trying to learn more. But I I see what you mean. Like the aesthetics of this movie w- would fit with an A24. Now, with the writing? That's an That's entirely different question. That's an entirely <laughs> different question. That is, therein lies the rub for therein sure. Therein lies the problem. <laughs> So uh, we've we've uh, set up some great points here. I'm going to get into the history a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Meyer is a Mormon author and homemaker from Hartford, Connecticut. Originally, I think uh, lives in Arizona now. Twilight was her first novel published in 2005. She says that the initial germ of it came to her in a dream. Uh, She had a dream about a a vampire who loved a girl but also thirsted for her blood. And she turned this dream into chapter 13 of the novel, which was the first thing she wrote. And then she sort of backfilled the first 12 chapters. That's wild. (laughs) I did not. Did not. You you've probably done a lot more research on this than I have. Again, because I I was also never one of those people that like obsessively researched like the 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 actors or anything i did know that she was a mormon homemaker from connecticut though i did not know that she started it with chapter 13 that's really funny um if you have more things to say please go ahead so yeah i haven't read the book so uh you know i think i've i have the book right in front of me i've definitely done episodes before where like a single chapter of a book either like came first or was more most prominent uh at a point i'm trying to remember what 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 it was but (laughs) It, it it is a weird thing um but but i guess it makes sense in the sense of like you know she she had this idea about like you know i i sort of assume that it's the like i know what you are kind of point in the in, yeah. in the story that's what i yeah. imagine yeah but, See, uh, i'm not su- i'm not surprised like you know i also write stories like a lot of my stories come from just like the you get one scene in the middle and then you have to backfill but mm-hmm. And if and if any of them were going to be the one that started it, I guess this would definitely be the one with him sparkling, because that's really not really what makes the difference. But the sparkling vampire is what sets Twilight apart from a lot of vampire lore, a lot of yeah. vampire lore. Um, I've done I I'm I have a lot of information about uh, folk tales and fairy tales. Um, that's been you know an interest of mine for a really long time. 
And obviously vampires are one of the most well-known cryptid monster um, that exists in, in the era that we live in. And so a lot of people have their own takes on vampire lore. And of course, the tenements are always the same. Drinks blood, you know, can't go out in sunlight for whatever reason. But Stephanie Meyer took it to a new place with sparkling vampires. She definitely threw a threw a loop in the lore, to be entirely honest with you. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that a lot of like that made this kind of a little bit of a huh <laughs> sparkling vampires yeah. <laughs> like yeah i i went into this movie trying to be you know credulous and and keeping it open mind when the this the sparkling scene i was just like that is so stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yep yeah that's yeah that's the, exactly that's exactly you you could imagine being someone in 2005 picking up this weird book with an apple on the front in Barnes and Noble or your local indie bookstore, which is better do that. But like, imagine picking up Twilight and then being like, Oh, okay. A book about vampires. All right. Stellar. Love that. And then he sparkles. Like, could you imagine I'd lose my mind? I'd lose my mind getting to chapter 13. Like I still lost my mind. And I knew, I knew already because, you know, I read it after it, the craze had started, you know? So, yeah, yeah. If, if you were trying to and many people have, you know, obviously made parodies of Twilight, but I feel like you you can't replicate the, you know, just just him lit up like a disco ball and going like, I'm a freak. <laughs> like, exactly. It's insane. This is the skin of a killer, Bella. Um, <laughs> do you know that in a lot of um, Twilight fan circles? the acronym TITSOAK is a very big part of it because TITSOAK is obviously um, an acronym for this is the skin of a killer Bella. So if you ever see the word TITSOAK on the back of someone's car and like a sticker, I, I have a lot of people have gotten vanity plates with it on it. Um, that's what that means. Just for your, a fun fact for your, for your time. Cool. I've been using it wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that dream, uh, the novel was partially inspired by Pride and Prejudice, and uh, e you know each of the books sort of like takes a little bit of influence from some classic literature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, she also did a lot of research on the lore of the Quileute Native Americans, uh, which they were not very happy about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get um, into that. Stephanie Meyer also cited the My Chemical Romance song Famous Last Words as an inspiration for Jacob. That's really funny. Yeah. You'll 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 come to learn, and we'll talk, I guess, a little bit more about this later, is that I am a Team Edward Stan through and through. Um I've gotten into fights with friends before about this. Um and a lot of different arguments for either side are valid. Like when you start, when you start getting deeper into it than just like, Oh, I like the sparkly vampire. Oh, I like the big bad werewolf. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot more going on there, but to know that Jacob was inspired by an MCR song <laughs> really just, really just, just soothes something in me. I, I don't know. What to, and listen, I love MCR. This is not, this is not any sort of MCR slander, but it does sort of soothe something in me. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Definitely. So after joining an organization for Mormon women aspiring to be authors, uh, Stephanie Meyer completed the novel in three months. Wow. Well, that explains a lot. 
Yeah, <laughs> her sister convinced her to send it out to literary agencies. Of the 15 she sent it out to, uh, she got only one positive response from Writer's House. Uh, the initial manuscript was 130,000 words. <laughs> and oh uh, YA novels are generally expected to be forty to 60,000. Uh, but an inexperienced assistant at Writer's House responded to Stephanie Meyer's inquiry not knowing that it was way too long for a YA novel. And that error is what led to Twilight actually being read by an agent. Wow. You're, you're, you're teaching me new things here today. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. So after securing an agent, a bidding war was launched for the rights to Twilight, uh, which culminated in a $750,000 three-book deal with Little Brown. Three books? Yeah. Okay. There's four. There, there are four is the thing. There was four. Uh, and for all that money, Twilight dropped in 2005 with a print run of 75,000 copies. Within a month, it debuted at number five on the bestsellers list for children's chapter books. And I think we can talk a little bit about why that is, like why Twilight was successful right out of the gate, why there was a bidding war for it. I think it was brushing up against a few different phenomena. There was uh, a resurgence of vampires in media. There's also obviously this post Harry Potter, big, uh, you know, teen fiction boom. Yeah. There here in lies the crux of my essay. You're brushing, you're brushing up against the crux of my, my big long twilight paper that I have to write. Um, why was twilight so successful and why, it, and, and how much has it impacted media going forward is, is, mm is really what the crux of my paper is about. Um, and the reason why it hasn't been written yet is because I have to do so much more, you know, in-depth research um, to really start writing it. But I have a lot of like ideas that are related to that. Um, but if you would like to continue on with your uh, your facts, and then we can talk more about that a little bit later. That's totally fine. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to uh, give you a shot to get into it, um, but I'm just going to throw a couple yeah, more yeah. ideas out there. Uh, I feel like the connection between Twilight and like the 2000s emo is not really something I put together, but obviously in, in hindsight, it's like, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, part, of it, part of it was also kind of grassroots. Uh, Stephanie Meyer would have bi-weekly book signings at uh, her local Tempe bookstore. And this was kind of a, perfect time to have like a grassroots success in YA with like these, you know, internet communities starting to pop up fan spaces. And we've talked so much about fan culture and the domi the, the domination of it in, in the 21st century, but this comes out at, at a perfect moment for it. Yeah. And again, there's, you know, the hot topic and the Buffy and the Harry Potter of it all. So, Here's my take. And like I said, I have to do so much more research. And um, if if you bring me back for more of the books, I'll, I will do more of that research and I'll come back to you with some more like true, honest to God, like fact facts. But here's what I have to say based on a being a reader back in the day, still being a really huge reader nowadays, like seeing the trends, keeping up with the trends, kind of knowing where everything was at at the time and where you know the early 2000s was at at the time um so as you as you mentioned harry potter right before before harry potter became a thing um there the new york times had two bestseller lists they had nonfiction and fiction 
Um, and of course, obviously, that has a lot to do with keeping the prestige among the New York Times bestseller list and ab- among writers in general. And there's a lot of things to unpack there, which we won't go into today. But once Harry Potter hit the scene and became such a huge phenomenon, um, the New York Times had to create new bestseller lists because it was children's literature. The first three books, at least, were children's literature. And they couldn't really go and they couldn't really go on the fiction New York Times bestseller list. So they had to create new New York Times bestseller list for Harry Potter, which doesn't really have anything to do with Twilight, but it shows that there was a space for more of that, like a bigger space for more of that fantasy children's literature. And like, obviously people have been writing and making films and making, you know, media about vampires, lore, fantasy, fairy tales for a really, really, really long time. This is not anything new or, you know what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. A lot of the time when people were making fantasy type of genre things, it was either for like little children, like, you know, back in the day when we were all watching like Blue's Clues talking dogs or like, you know, the drag, I can't remember the dragon show name, but like there was, you know, dragon shows for children. Like fantasy was either a children's thing or you were watching like Dracula and Frankenstein. It was more of a like science fiction for older for older people there wasn't there wasn't a lot of like young adult teenage lit so sur- like popular teenage lit surrounding this type of fantasy and definitely there were people writing it i'm not saying that there weren't but it wasn't as much of a mainstream thing before harry potter hit the scene you understand what i'm saying yeah i think today when you think of a ya novel you think of uh things with that sort of uh modernized fantasy tilt to them and pre harry potter you would probably think of like mostly slice of life stuff you know judy bloom or what have you exactly um a lot of coming of age novels in the young adult section and obviously there are still you know coming of age in the young adult section but a lot like you said if you walk into a young adult section in in any of your local bookstores now it's a lot of high fantasy um you know romance type of things and Stephanie Meyer basically with, you know, unknowingly basically lit the spark that allowed for YA to become as popular as it is today. And, and it, and so YA has basically what I, what I like to think of as two waves, right? So there was the original wave that was started with Twilight, because if you remember after Twilight, we had all of the books, like the Hunger Games, like Divergent, like you know, all of those books that were so popular and immediately became films and took on this this new look, this new style of writing fantasy and dystopian, you know, realistic fiction that really captured the public's attention and captured, you know, kind of young women's attention um, and obviously became a booming business. Like you remember how many stories you had coming out at in those in those years that were pretty much all basically the same with obviously different plots and different characters. Um mm-hmm. and that all happened after Twilight. Um but it the interesting part about Twilight is if you actually go and read the book, which 
I'm like I'm suggesting only if you actually do enjoy the movie and you want to see kind of the comparison. Um, if you actually go and read the book, you'll see that it is not well written. It is not a well written mm-hmm. book. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Like I and I don't mean to say that to be mean or to in any way diminish. Like and obviously Stephanie Meyer's got a lot of issues in the book that are outside of you know the writing, but like. Rocky, when I say that it is bad writing, I'm I'm saying like there's no ex there's no there's no description. You basically have you like you basically have Bella Swan standing there being like, Edward's looking at me. I wonder why. Next <laughs> like like that that's it. Like I'm like it is it is the most basic form of storytelling you can possibly imagine. Um, which is why Midnight Sun is so interesting because Midnight Sun was written 20 years later or finished 20 years later after, or 15 years later, I'm sorry, after the second wave of, of young adult fantasy had started to become really popular. Um, because new, I'm sorry, Midnight Sun reads like a actually pretty well-written young adult fantasy novel of today and looking at them side by side which i that's how i read midnight sun which was side by side with twilight like i would read the twilight scene and then go back and read the scene in midnight sun like an absolute you know obsessed fan um it is it is honestly crazy to see the difference in writing from just 15 years and i know 15 years is not a short amount of time but considering the differences and considering where YA fantasy started and where it's gotten to it's honestly it's it's crazy to see the difference and like you said she kind of hit it the at the best time right after Harry Potter and also when all of these new fan spaces were coming out and you know there was the emo type of like movement and this book this book is for the emos it is for the emos like I don't know anything else to tell you it is it is just like I said, there's very little description. It's just like, oh, I was sad. That That's the thing. I feel like I haven't really considered up until now the way that Twilight hit that 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 perfect sort of cross-section of being like a romance that also had those, those Harry Potter like fantasy lore elements and was like dark and, yeah. and you know, it, it appealed to emos, but was also like, oh, this is different. Yeah, it- exactly and here's here's the other thing you you know how like nowadays we're all you know we all joke about a tall dark and handsome man you know blah blah blah. that's like the joke of like romance novels the ripped bodice covers like tall dark Mm. burly handsome man um mysterious obviously people were doing that long before twilight but stephanie meyer created a character that was obsessed with the object of his affection would do anything for her and like that kind of all-consuming portrayal of love from for teenagers Mm. was real really was a thing that hadn't i know like i'm sure you know i'm sure if someone has a more niche version of this like they'll tell like not they'll tell me but you know what i mean like i'm sure someone's gonna be like actually um this lady was doing this far before but like this type of character that is obsessed with the object of his interest and his affection and 
lust is not really the word I kind of want to be using, but because again, it wasn't really the lust aspect. It was just the fact that like all he wanted to do was like love her and keep her safe. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very chaste, actually. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah exactly. No, it, it, actually, exactly. It's very chaste. And, you know, for a Mormon woman, I'm uh, we're all unsurprised. Um, but honestly, Bella is more horny than Edward is for the entire series. And it, like, it's kind of a care. It becomes kind of a character trait for her, actually. <laughs> um, so like, it's, it is a combination of the fact that like, you hit it right after Harry Potter. You have all of these new um, social media types of sites coming out. And also you've given you've given teenagers not just a fluffy little love story coming of age like, oh, we held hands and kissed on the park bench once and he met my parents. But also like I've gotten my first period and I don't know. Like, you know, like there was there wasn't like that type of I'm growing with this aspect. It was just, oh, here's a guy who's also a vampire that doesn't drink human blood because he's a quote unquote vegetarian that is obsessed with this girl. And we have to wonder why like teen girls kind of went a little bit crazy over this vampire man. And then you have and then you have Jacob, the werewolf, another big, strong, handsome man coming in being like, actually, I want her. And now you Mm -hmm. have and now you have a love triangle. Twilight grew the love triangles and everyone did it to the point where to be un- to, to be entirely honest with you I don't read love triangles anymore like I pick up a book that says it has a love triangle I put it right back down I can't mm-hmm. handle it I can't do it but Twilight really really and they obviously marketed it really well team Edward team Jacob it's still a thing that people are like no I was team Jacob when I was younger like they marketed that really well which helped in like you know the rest of the book and movie sales um but yeah it sorry to talk forever but it really is a very interesting kind of progression into how twilight became such an important part of the early 2000s slash late 2000s media and how it has grown i mean we have shows like you now we have 50 shades of gray which is a twilight which started as a twilight fan fiction and mm-hmm. obviously everyone knows how big that got and everyone knows what type of character christian gray is modeled off of edward um and so you see this type of like it it starts a trend that most people don't think about because they think about twilight as like a a silly girly book from the early 2000s you know what i'm saying um yeah when in fact it runs so much deeper. Yeah, and I think it, um, you know, you can really put it as a as a parallel to the the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, which you know there's obviously a, a convergence there uh, <laughs> eventually. But um, I, I think it's another phenomenon that's just like a cross section of, you know, I think people were seeing on the the blood on the leaves in terms of uh, in terms of. Um, uh just just fan culture sort of consuming everything and the both batman being marketed towards boys and twilight being marketed towards girls i think in both cases you see this as something that's like oh well this is sort of dark and it's like you know different and maybe intellectual in its own way even though one could argue they very much aren't but (laughs) yeah true but one could argue like one can argue that now this is what I'm saying. Back in the day, no one would look at this book and be like, 
oh, that's not well written. Like that's it's just you, we can compare that because of the because of the media that we have today. You can look at this and be like, oh no, we this is not this is not done well, and this is not in any way, shape, or form the type of thing that we like should be putting on a pedestal. Like if if Stephanie Meyer tried to send this book to a publisher now it would be ridiculed, like ridiculed. Like this is not yeah. what we can, but like, but back in the day, and like, I know you said that it was a mistake, which is so funny to me by this intern that had no idea what they were doing or this new worker that had no idea what they were doing. But mm-hmm. like, even so it got an agent, it started a bidding war. Like even with that mistake, someone would read this and be like, there's nothing here to market. Like, and speaking about the movie for a second, you know, I'm sure you remember Kristen Stewart being just like her her career took a nosedive after this movie because everyone typecast her as this girl that all she does is breathe heavy and like snicker every once in a while. Um yeah, so I my the most fascinating part about the book for me is is just um and I don't know I don't know if we want to kind of talk about the movie and then I'll come back to more about like Midnight Sun and kind of how um the difference in writing for yesterday and today but it is kind of crazy how much of an impact um twilight had on both like the way that we all there was a long time when you know you you see these like you see all these girls being like oh i want i want someone that's as obsessed with me as edward is or as obsessed with me as jacob is and that obviously can lead to some really um if you're not careful some really harmful type of relationships and while, mm-hmm. and while Edward and like again, I have friends that would very, very hotly argue this against me. While I don't believe Edward was abusive, um, I definitely can see arguments for that, and I can see where a lot of the behaviors that people took away from that could transform into some really kind of dangerous types of attachment styles. And this is again, this is all stuff that like no one thought this weird book about vampires was going to really do in the society. But like, it's a way of looking at relationships and it's a way of looking at, you know, teenage boys and men in general. And like in a way that can be semi damaging if, if you're, if you're just really so innocent and don't, and don't have the experience to know what dangerous behavior looks like. Um, it's you actually know? so interesting, um, and we're we're gonna continue after this point. But uh, it's actually so interesting that like basically everything that is you know prominent in pop culture today is gonna have like discourse about it. Mm-hmm. But usually, you know that'll that'll be a thing for like a week, and then there'll be a new thing to debate about, or like mm-hmm. it'll just sort of fizzle out eventually. No one will care that much about the arguments. It's interesting that the questions that twilight brings up whether on purpose or by accident are still being like mulled over today yeah it for a book that has very little plot in it did it did it did a number on you know the psyche of an entire generation of teenage girls like i i don't know how to i don't know how to say that otherwise even the girls even the girlies that were like me that were like "Mm," and you that were like i this is just not something that I want to be doing like this. <laughs> no, thank you. Like you're still affected by the culture that's around you. I never listened to Justin Bieber, but I knew a lot of Justin Bieber songs. You know what I'm saying? Like, true. so like you're still affected by the culture, the predominant culture that's around you, especially 
you know, even when you're hashtag not like other girlies, you still want to kind of fit in with your peers. So you just start to kind of assimilate to different things that um, you're seeing around you from people that you think are cool and you have no idea where they've gotten it from. But like you then analyze the literature and the media that was around at the time and you start going, hmm, this had a huge impact on an entire like cult, basically subculture of the population. And there are so many questions that this brings up. And we're like you said, we're still talking about them today. So it, it really is. a it, It's it's a lot deeper than a lot of people think Twilight is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's I want to uh, bring it back around to mm -hmm. the point of vampires, because yeah. in addition to all these phenomena we're talking about, uh, there was a boom of like uh you know other than buffy you also have like blade and underworld and van helsing uh, the idea of like the cool modern sexy vampire something <laughs> that people are very ready to digest mm -hmm. at this point in the 2000s oh girl i i still yeah romance novels nothing like it truly but we want to see it yeah yeah a whole other topic of conversation but i hear you but that is part of the reason, and all these other things are also part of the reason that uh, MTV Films uh, quickly optioned the book for a movie adaptation in 2004. Uh, as with um, most modern adaptations, I think all of the ones we've covered on this show, mm -hmm. uh, it was optioned for a movie before it came out. <laughs> that, that's just, you know. Was it really? I did not know that. That's crazy. I did not know that. That's just sort of how it works now. They when when a publisher picks something up, they will send like they will send out the the proof to you know studios and agents and what have you, and people will be like, you know, well let let's pick this up before anyone else gets to it. Wow. Okay. All right. Cool. So Paramount uh, jumped at the chance to hop on a new YA fantasy property, obviously, and they hired. Uh, pretty novice screenwriter. I don't think he actually ended up writing something that got made, uh, Mark Lord. His version was a lot more action focused. It, it sort of had more in common with like Blade and Buffy and these other vampire media that I'm talking about that did the actual Twilight novel. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Meyer said, quote, they could have put that movie out, called it something else, and no one would have known it was Twilight. Yeah, honestly, if, if, you, if it's as action packed as you're, as you're ex explaining, I, I could totally agree. I could totally see where Stephanie Meyer was coming from with that quote. <laughs> uh mtv didn't really have the budget to put that that kind of huge action movie together on their own so they you know running it up running it up the flagpole at paramount but then in 2005 just before the novel <laughs> became a smash hit paramount changed leadership and the new uh the new head, head of the production or whatever was like let's we don't want this and put it in turnaround wow <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> wow <laughs> sucks for him could you imagine oh goodness i i don't think i don't think i could ever live that one down to be entirely honest with you yeah karen rosenfeld was the executive who bought the twilight rights in 2004 and after leaving paramount uh she shared that failing to get the project running was one of her greatest regrets to eric feig the production chief at summit entertainment who said you know what let's pick that up <laughs> Yeah, so like um, Summit only got Stephanie Meyer's permission to like, you know, uh, roll with it after they promised to stay true to her vision. They sent her a whole handwritten sort of tongue in cheek thing that's like, we promise not to do this. They made a specific promise not to give the vampires pointy teeth. 
Uh- <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, and then you know, once she okayed it, they were off to the races. They hired Catherine Hardwick, uh, who was a, a, a big, you know, pretty young director at the time. She did uh, 13, which was a big hit at Sundance. Then they did Lords of Dogtown, which was a, a something of a commercial success. She was hired as a director. And Melissa Rosenberg, who wrote uh, Step Up and worked on Dexter a lot, uh, was hired to write the screenplay. The two successfully hammered out the script in the like six weeks before the writer's strike, <laughs> you know, like they wow. announced the writer's strike and they were like, okay, let's bang this out real quick. And they did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So the thing I wanted to say about uh, Kristen Stewart and what this movie did for her career is that um, she got the call to do like an informal screen test while she was on the set of Adventureland. And I feel like the fact that she had already shot Adventureland when Twilight came out is maybe like, was sort of her out from being like, you know, put in that box forever. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously she did sort of peter out and have to go super indie for a couple of years. Uh, but I think that having already shot Adventureland and having that come out a year later, that was sort of the inkling of like, may- maybe there's something more to her. <laughs> I, um, I mean, like, I actually have not seen Adventureland. Um, but I, do you remember... Um... Oh, Zathura. Do you remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She yeah. Was in that, um, I think before Twilight. And I mean, like, listen, I remember being like, oh my God, that's Kristen Stewart. Like after watching Twilight, I remember like, oh my God, like re-watching Zathura. I was like, oh my God, wait, she has more than one emotion? Because again, back in the early 2000s, I wasn't as proficient as using the internet as we all are today. And um, I was not as heavily interested in in film, so I wasn't seeing a lot of things. And also, um, my parents had specific uh, things that they didn't want us watching. So, like, you know, I, I it wasn't like I was super sheltered, but like there were definitely things that I just like was not aware of. So all you hear, like I said, kind of earlier, is things at school you hear from your peers. And all I was hearing for years and years and years is that you know she can't act she she's just acting this ridiculous like this like this awful character in this awful twilight you know like you just heard such terrible things for years and it wasn't until later like way later i was like oh hold on you know when everyone started to question all of the preconceived notions that we've been taught what from when you were a kid you just go wait a second maybe that wasn't as bad as we thought and 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 the honest the god's honest truth is kristen stewart is a brilliant actor she acted bella perfectly correctly yeah yeah i think uh and we'll get into it more but i think um kristen stewart and robert pattinson are both doing like very thoughtful performances in this movie and i think they are they are a little uh, inexperienced. I mean, you know, Kristen Stewart had done like Panic Room and all kinds of things before this. And and let me refresh myself on what Robert Pattinson had done before this because he had did not as much, but he was in Harry Potter before this. He was in Harry um, Potter before this. I, I I think they're both like uh, their ideas. I I think these they're attempting some very wild um, sort of expressionistic acting. Yeah. In, in in this movie and i don't think they are necessarily um 
honed enough yet to like fully pull it off. And I also think, again, the writing and sort of the movie around them is not being their friend. But uh, I do think these are really, I, I do think these are really thoughtful and layered performances from the two. I agree. And here, and here's the other thing that, like, you know, I I said multiple times earlier in this um, talk that this writing was not good, and I obviously stand by that. Um, but one of the things that like the screenwriter didn't do as stellar of a job with, and that's not in any way again Kristen Stewart's fault, is that the Bella in the book, though also pretty bland, is a little bit more of a spitfire than the movie gives her credit for, like. She's a little more spunky than the movie wrote her as. Um mm-hmm. and I I know I heard I heard a lot about how Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson both read all the books and like did actually like, you know, obviously you hear stories about actors just doing it without reading any of the source material and you go, "Okay, well that was a thought that you had." I don't know if it was the correct one, but it was a thought that you had. But like Robert Pattinson and 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 Kristen Stewart both took this like pretty seriously. Um, and from what, everything that you're telling me, that only proves my what I thought before, which is that they did take this very seriously. However, I will say again that the screenwriter was not their friend in this. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they did very much, and like me, like that. Um, like I said, I've had arguments with my friends about the Edward versus Jacob thing and whether or not um, Edward is an abusive character or not. And obviously, that's a whole very deep discussion, but. I will say that like I was rewatching the movie and the movie's a fun little lark to watch. It's a, it's hysterical and it's, and it's, it's always a good time because it's just like, like you said, they were both pretty kind of an experience with these deep emotions that they were trying to pull off. They didn't always pull it off. So you had things that kind of was like, okay, like again, felt like kind of an A24, a, a very, a very um, pseudo A24 film. But again, the characters in the book, and again, this is especially seen with Midnight Sun. So getting the whole book from Edward's point perspective and getting all of that detail that we missed the first time around um, just shows how much how much these characters were done a disservice in the first movie and all the movies, to be entirely honest with you. And I know that movies can't have everything in the book. Like, I understand that. Um, but the writing definitely, like you said, was not their friend. Um, and there's multiple different, like, I can pull multiple quotes. I'm not going to, but like, I can put multiple quotes to show you. Like, I just rewatched the second movie. I know we're not talking about New Moon right now, but I just rewatched the second movie, and I'm so pissed off. They messed up the entire ending. Like the the whole like everything that was good about the ending, they took completely out. So, like I said, the movie has the movies did a lot of disservice toward the characters, toward the plot line, toward pretty much everything. But they did stay, what they did put in stayed pretty true to the book. They just basically took out any sort of spice or spunk that these otherwise already bland characters had, which made them even more bland, which makes this a ridiculable media. (laughs) Yeah. So um, just another fun fact about the director, Catherine Hart, forgot to mention is that she was an executive producer on don't worry darling oh yes mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little something to throw out there you uh know, before twitter died that was the that was the latest big news that was what people <laughs> would like to see um so like i said Kristen stewart uh 
had sort of this connect with Hardwick. Hardwick was like, we want her and, you know, went out to the set to audition with her. Robert Pattinson was a very different story. (laughs) (laughs) He um, had been fired from his previous uh, gig. He had never heard of Twilight, but his, I think his agent was American and he was like, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta give this a try, man. And he flew out to LA on his own dime to audition um and you know everyone was like this guy <laughs> this guy's weird uh and actually <laughs> weird. he did like a slight method thing uh not you know not not anything crazy but he like didn't really talk to anyone on set like like he, oh my God. that's funny yeah he was sort of like trying to get into character get people to see him as like an outsider and so he <laughs> just just sort of didn't uh, make any friends on set but um uh, Stephanie Meyer wrote Edward with Henry Cavill in mind, actually. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> that's yeah. inc- that, that's incredible. That's the best thing I've heard all week. They and, and when they were casting, you know, that was brought up, and they decided that he was too old. I was gonna say he's a little too old to be a seventeen-year-old, a perpetual seventeen-year-old boy. <laughs> right. They uh, he they actually offered him the role of Carlisle. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would have loved that. That would have been that so stellar. Oh my god, <laughs> Carlisle was one of the Carlisle's one of the best people. Carlisle and Charlie are two of the best people in this entire series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been stellar. It's all about the dads. It's true. True. He turned it down. <laughs> the, the Carlisle role. He was like not interested. Yeah. Um, the production schedule consisted of a week of rehearsals and 44 days of shooting. Uh, it, it culminated in early May 2008. Um, yeah, by the time the film came out, there was already, you know, this strong sort of emo <laughs> association. And so that energy was definitely brought out in the movie's soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very deliberate thing in the process where they were like, first of all, it was some of Stephanie Meyer's uh, favorite artists like Muse and Linkin Park and Radiohead, but then it was also um, just trying to uh, match that energy, match that tone. Uh, Haley Williams was a fan of the books and she sort of like came in with a song already written. Oh and they, it was an interesting thing I read with, I think it was Catherine Hardwick where she was like, when when I the first time I met with Haley, she was... Uh, like a teenage girl with a guitar and the and by the time the movie came out she was paramore so (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome really cool yeah that's awesome that yeah so exactly i mean like it's honestly though our pat being method on set no surprise no surprise to me there yeah (laughs) Yeah. great guy yeah (laughs) yeah but you know like like you said it's it all came out and like it wasn't just the emos that loved it like like it just became such a smash hit with teenage girls in general and i don't mean to generalize but like that kind of was what it was it was just like this road on the back of like teenage girls because i mean like you remember being ridiculed like you remember people being ridiculed for liking twilight like i i definitely remember people being like you know what i'm saying like it was it was a it's very you know circa and I listen, I'm not in any way comparing the popularity of Twilight to the popularity of the Beatles. But, you know, back in back when the Beatles were getting big, it was it all rode on the back of teenage girls. Um, and then and then, you know, um, old men decided that actually it's fine. So it became they became classics. But like, 
you know, Twilight really became popular first in those emo circles because of the type of, because of the writing and because of the type of book that it was. And then it kind of not spiraled, but exploded really um, to the rest of young girls, teenage girls. Um, Cause most of the people that like remember their Twilight obsession are now like 21 to 31, 21 to 33. Like it was, it was that, that 10 years worth of girls that just went, this is my new personality trait, you know? Yeah. So, um, the, the, the movie came out and we're going to, we're going to get into it. It came out and it made nearly double its budget in its opening weekend. It was the highest ever debut at the time for a movie directed by a woman. Wow. It would top out at 400 million worldwide, despite mixed reviews, which is, you know, we were talking about and something that I picked up on was when twilight came out, it was mostly being reviewed by people in the specific niche of YA novels mm-hmm. and it got strong reviews. Yeah. I mean, it was a badly written book with subjects that were brought to light in a way that a lot of people hadn't read them before. You're going to have some polarizing opinions there, especially back in the day when, like you said, there was the, um, oh, what'd you say? The era of haters earlier the the golden age of haters yeah the golden age of haters yeah like there were a lot of people with a lot of different opinions yeah but it's like you were talking about how like when it came out there was almost nothing to compare it to exactly and and you know if people responded to how like different it was when when the when the novel first dropped and but by the time you get to the movie it it its reputation has soured exactly and and also there were so many other books that now you could compare it to because people were starting to write things like that. Um, of the books that came out after Twilight, in my personal opinion, The Hunger Games was the best of the lot um, and were influenced by Twilight and Twilight's popularity because Hunger Games essentially was an adult novel that was written so that kids could digest it. Like the themes yeah. obviously like were super heavy, but necessary. Like, um, but what I'm saying is novels like that had already started to come out. So you were seeing better writing about more substantial topics. So all the people that were reviewing the book when the movie came out now had a more critical view of this book that was now becoming more obvious as to it not being well-written, but you already had the popularity of so many people that it didn't really matter that if people didn't like it, like it didn't really, it was, it was a rolling wave on its own that nobody could stop. But this is what I was kind of saying before. It is really interesting to see the difference between where YA, where I'm sorry, where YA has gotten now versus Twilight because yeah, we can sit here and go like we can sit here and talk all day long about how like you know it's the the descriptions are just completely vague there's very little character development there's like you know whatever whatever like all the things that you need to make a good story are kind of visibly lacking but we can we can see that now because we have things like a court of thorns and roses um you know all of the sarah j mass books all of the like things like and Sarah J. Mass really ushered in the second wave of why young young adult fantasy. That's like her like Court of Thorns and Roses and things like that really kind of ushered in the second wave of this. Um, so I compare 
Twilight to Sarah J. Mass's Court of Thorns and Roses a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I talk to people about this, but like you said, when people were reviewing it, they had some not so hot opinions, but you already had things that were coming out that were saturating, not saturating the market, but like saturating people's opinions of this type of genre. So you had lots more things to compare it to. Um, and it's objectively not good. Like, like, you know, I, it's I, a, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, also, it's also just not good. Is the thing. It's definitely not good. And when you put that um, up against good writing, it's not going to win. <laughs> like, right. When you don't put it up against anything, you might be like, oh, this is different. Uh, I, I think we're um, going to have to be in like the back half of this episode. So we're not going to get like too, too granular about everything that happens in the movie. But I'm let's sorry. talk about the movie. I'm sorry. We've talked a lot about the book. Um, So the movie... The- like I said before, kind of the movie took these char- these book characters and really just ironed them out, made them as flat as humanly possible, um, as like two dimensional as humanly possible. And Arpat and Kristen Stewart did as best as they could with these flat characters in this script. It's crazy how much they're doing with these characters. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I was rewatching the movie literally before we got on the before we got on this um this Discord, and I'm sitting here going, "What a what a choice! Like what a choice! Yeah. Like I am so okay! Like you know, like you you could really do like a frame by frame breakdown of these performances. Liter exactly exactly of everyone's performances, not even just our Pat and Kristen, although those are the most important. Like. Every single person in this film is really out here doing the most with <laughs> with the little that they have. Like even Charlie Swan, who is arguably doing the least of the most because that's just his character. Those awkward silences, man. Those awkward pauses. God, you're like, okay. Like I have not seen that in a film since. Pa- like things like this. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, um, I feel like um, the, there there are definitely, I think there is sort of a sliding scale of like how much is going into the performances. Yeah. I think like Taylor Lautner is doing what he's got to do and like not much more. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anna Kendrick has a very thoroughly developed character, I think, but is, you know, kind of kind of like not going as off the wall with it. And then there are, you know the other vampires are cool so like like when you get when you get for i think you start to see more characters that it's like okay yeah, <laughs> they're, right. they're just there's nothing there and they don't need to do anything with them yeah i mean well in the okay in the first movie um and we're not again talking about the rest of them because um we save that but in the first movie it is and like you said it's based on pride and prejudice and obviously pride and prejudice has a lot of side characters and a lot of other uh plots going on but it's mainly about Lizzie and Darcy, right? Twilight is the same thing. It is mainly about Bella and Edward, and even more so than Pride and Prejudice. I mean, Pride and Prejudice was a Regency novel, so it definitely spent a lot of time on other people. This one does not. This one does not spend a lot of time on anyone else. It is not until you get to New Moon and Edward leaves the picture for the first 250 pages of the book. Um that you get any sort of like character development of ev- pretty much anybody else. Like all the characters like written in the book are not as two dimensional as the movie, but 
definitely not as developed as Bella and Edward. And then, of course, you take the movie where everything's pretty stripped and you're going to have these people that are doing as much as they can with absolutely nothing. I mean, for the first for the first hour and a half of the movie, the only people that speak, like the only main characters that speak is you have like, you know, the waitress in the diner and like the teacher that says a few things like but the only main characters that speak have any lines are Charlie, Bella, Edward and Carlisle. That's it. Mm-hmm. They speak for the majority of the first hour and a half of this movie or just seen on camera looking pained. Either right. way. Um, That's the interesting thing, though, is that I, I was really taken by surprise when like the first other character we meet is Jacob. And then he's just not there for almost the entire rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is this is the fascinating thing. And oh, my God, you do not want to get me started on this rant. But New Moon. I think New Moon as a book can be almost entirely thrown away just as like um, a precursor to what I'm about to say. Like I, I don't enjoy New Moon and there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the main reasons for that is because Edward leaves and then you have this entire developed storyline of Bella and Jacob's romance arc, right? Um, that she does absolutely no setting up for in the previous book or movie. Like you, Like you said, you see Jacob you introduce Jacob and then you basically don't see him for the rest of the novel until the very end when he has to come and threaten her to stay away from Edward. Like there's, there's pretty much no interaction. I mean, like you can see that they're like walking on the beach. Like there's, I think there's like a total of three scenes that Jacob is in, in the first movie um, to become yeah. such a huge character later on. Like, like you said, <laughs> um, Terrell Lautner's doing what he's got to do. Um, in that ridiculous hairstyle, um, <laughs> um, ridiculous wig is what I meant to say, not hairstyle, but like, you know, in that ridiculous, like, um, it's, it's just, it, you, you're seeing all these characters that, and, and, you know, you see the Cullen siblings, um, from afar, they don't speak. All they're doing is looking angry pretty much for the entire first two hours of this or first hour and a half of this movie. Um, until you get to the the famous baseball scene. You know what? Actually, we're going to talk about that baseball scene real quick. <laughs> the baseball scene is perfect. Legendary. <laughs> it, Legendary. I, gen- genuinely, no, no, no notes. notes. It's perfect. No notes. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> um, if the entirety of Twilight had just been the baseball scene, like if they had just given us that five-minute clip, that movie would have shot through the roof. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be funny if that was the original script. They were like, you know, I really like the baseball. We're just going to do baseball the whole movie. <laughs> literally, literally, that would be so funny. Can you imagine just being like, we've got a new recruit on the team, recruit Bella Swan. Um, yeah, no, but um, until... There's no there's no rule in the books that says a human can't play vampire baseball. It is, uh, that is 100% true, 100% true. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's why Edward brings her. She's, she's, she's out here being the umpire. Great thing yeah. for a human to be doing, you know? Um, yeah. You can't have a vampire be the umpire. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's unfair. That's unfair. Right. Simply it doesn't yeah. make sense. Like, um, can can the humans see what they're doing? Debatable, since they're going so fast. But, like, but like, she's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. Making enemies out of Rosalie, which is just a bad idea. But, like, otherwise, she's doing a great job. No, the baseball scene, no notes. Simply stunning. But definitely, like, an, definitely an interesting, like, it's interesting that that scene 
has become like one of the most widely watched scenes in like pretty much all of the Twilight Saga. Like you talk about the Twilight Saga. If anyone knows anything about they're going to be like, oh, yeah, the one with the baseball scene, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what you get. You get spark. You get, oh, the sparkly vampires. Oh, right. The baseball scene. Like if anyone is like had their girlfriend show them or like their boyfriends show them something like or their partner show them something that's like from Twilight, whoever's obsessed with Twilight is going to show them the baseball scene first with that incredible background song. So like, again, you like you said, stellar no notes. Um, The only part of the movie that you just are not focused on anything else but what's happening in the scene. It's really funny, uh, sort of structurally, too. There was a point, like, an hour 20 minutes in where I was like, we're more than halfway through this movie and I don't feel like there's a conflict yet. (laughs) But then I thought about that a little more and I was like, no, I guess the conflict was Bella's in a new town and there's a weird relationship with Edward, but now that's resolved and there's still an hour left in the movie. Um, And then the baseball scene happens. (laughs) And it's like, never mind, I'm on board again. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind, we're here, we understand. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. So, like, and... (laughs) Here's the thing. Again, watching the movie, I'm sitting here going, okay, I understand. I understand people's arguments for Edward and Bella's relationship being a little bit of a concern. Like mm-hmm. the whole the whole first thing is him just being mean to her consistently and her being like, but I still want to be your friend. And you're like, that seems questionable. That seems questionable. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, they quickly move. And in the book, they do a better job with that i promise and in midnight if you read midnight sun and it might just be stephanie meyer writing this like rewriting this in 2020 and realizing where like social politics lie um Mm -hmm. but if you read midnight sun you get so much more of that background that you're not seeing because bella's just the most unobservant narrator you've ever read in your life and i think it's a lot of stephanie meyer going back and like fixing things but um the point is the point is yeah, the main the main the main premise of the first half of the book is okay, I'm in a new town. There's a there's all these there's all these weird siblings over here and I'm trying to make friends and then and then okay, like you said that's resolved. And then you hit the baseball scene and you're like, "Oh, there's more. Oh no. We've really hit the ground running now." There's something like like you know, I don't really mean this, but there's something almost classical about that like you have the conflict, you let it play out, and then you're like, okay, so what happens after that? It's like an old like Mel Brooks movie or something. <laughs> yeah, you're like, we've resolved this. Feels like this should let's be just, the end. Let's just see what happens now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I do, the... Go ahead, go ahead. I do think that when they introduce James, it's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> yeah, well, my favorite is the way that they present all three of these characters which is like on the boat with the with the Charlie's friend that gets murdered with mm-hmm. him like jumping in shirtless and being like mm, I like that coat and you're like who is this bitch now you're like what yeah. is he doing here <laughs> like and then the baseball scene you're like oh okay all right this is going to be a, yeah. this is going to be more of a problem um oh yeah and you haven't you haven't consumed the rest of the series i guess that's, I sure haven't. That's okay. All right. I kind of <laughs> forgot about. I kind of forgot about that for a second. I don't know if you are care about me spoiling, spoiling, quote unquote, spoiling <laughs> things. Basically, that becomes a lot bigger of a problem than sure anyone initially. Like basically, the baseball scene 
creates the entire conflict for the rest of the four books and, <laughs> and movies. Like that's the thing. Like I, I, yeah, I have to consider this film on its own, e- even if I knew everything else that happened. And it's just like it, nothing happens in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get. I mean, listen, Bella does almost die. James does almost kill okay. her. Okay. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> um, you know, he does like kidnap her and almost kill her. And Edward does Hunter kind of for sport, yada, yada. Yeah, hunts her for sport, pretends to kidnap her mom just to like just to fuck with Edward, basically. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cursing. I hope cursing's okay. Um oh, sure. yeah, okay. Um, like you know just 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 to mess with edward he's he's out here like taking edward what he considers edward's plaything which is obviously bella you know she does almost die but of course she doesn't because she's the main character of the franchise can't have that happen and it basically sets up and like you said you have to look at this as like a singular movie so you have this this conflict and then you that's done and then you have another conflict and you're like oh this is a bigger problem and then you're like oh well i guess we fixed that but even at the end of the movie, you have uh, Victoria, who's the redhead, uh, James's right. partner. Um, Victoria at the end at their school prom. So you even so you get that little dangling of, oh, OK, this isn't over. Maybe you didn't get that. I don't I don't know. I don't know what you're finding. I, 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 got, I got that. But, you know, that it didn't feel like that was necessarily actually going to be where it goes. It felt like, you know, something that a lot of... Uh, a lot of movies do like if you think of this hmm, it's just like when when james shows up i just i i I don't buy it as like (laughs) this is this is what it's all about it's like you know it'll happen in pixar movies a lot i feel like where they'll introduce a villain near the end to have some kind of action even though the rest of the movie hasn't been like that at all Mm. um and that that's how it feels to me it feels like this guy this this new vampire who's obviously been killing people in town and that sort of explains some of the questions i had about like how has no one figured it out with the vampires if they're going around killing people um but (laughs) they resolve that but then it's like so this guy has just decided that he wants to kill bella and that is our conflict for the rest of the movie and then it's resolved and then, it, like, it's the same thing with um, Jacob, you know, with all the all the Team Edward, Team Jacob. I expected that to really play a role in this movie. And it, like... Oh, it simply does not. It simply does, does not. not. <laughs> no, no, Jacob, Jacob, come, Jacob becomes a problem starting in book and movie two. That's when mm-hmm. Jacob becomes a problem. And I do consider him a problem, though that is a controversial opinion um but so yeah but i also feel like if we're talking about you know just deliberate sort of work being done here i i do have to shout out Catherine hardwick because i feel like this movie has like a really just just its tone is very unique and well realized and as someone who hasn't read the book it feels like it captures the tone of the book um but it also is just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel like there's another movie that has the exact same tone as this. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Every problem that I have with the movie itself comes from the script, and I don't know mm-hmm. how much of a, I don't know how much of a, um, I mean, not every problem, but most of the problems that I have with the movie itself 
comes from the script. And I don't know how much of an influence Catherine Hardwick was when they were writing the script. Um, I know you said that she wrote it with the the writer, but you know, I don't know how much she actually wrote. Um, but I completely agree with you. The only, and, and I think a lot in, in, in color in form of, in the form of the color scheme, because that's obviously something a lot of um, yeah. fans talk about as well as like the different color schemes of the movies, because it is a very specific like shade of blue that's entire that's over the entire first movie um yeah there's and you know if ruth was sitting right here next to me i'm sure he'd go off for an hour about a lot of different movies that have similar things but for me the only thing that really comes to mind that had the same whose whose vibe had a similar impression on me while like while watching the movie is funnily enough it's it's john wick which is an entirely mm -hmm. other movie and not related at all. But the color of that movie plays a huge role in the vibe that it brings and to the screen. A, a, a classic of purple and green cinema. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So what I'm saying is I completely agree with you. I think a shout out to Catherine Hardwick absolutely needs to happen. And like you were talking before, the cinematography, like there's a lot of things that a lot of way that things were shot a lot of yeah just... it's the coloring it's the coloring but it's also like a lot of like handheld you know sort of claustrophobic yeah shots like whatever they're in the house or in the diner or anything you're just getting like you're just getting like this really squeezed in view of everything actually claustrophobic is a great way to describe it like i i've never mm -hmm. thought of it like that but that is a great way to describe it um and even when you're not in that in some sort like we're not even when there's not a wide shot you're still getting like when the camera's on the character's faces it still seems almost just too close and and i think it really works for the vibe of like i think she really captured a really specific vibe and i think it works like you said you read the book what i obviously have and 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 i think it really does capture the book really well that's why like i said it is a good book to movie adaptation is the script so well written? No, and I know I keep harping on that and I apologize, but like, yeah. you know, I do agree with you. Catherine Hardwick definitely needs a shout out because I don't I don't think a lot of other filmmakers could have done it in a similar way and I think it would have been a disservice to the story that they're trying to tell. I'm just uh I I took a bunch of little notes on uh other stuff that happened in the movie. I don't know if we need to make a whole thing out of it, but I did really have a lot of fun <laughs> with this scene where the where the vampires are preparing uh, Italian food for Bella. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I can't believe I didn't bring that up. Oh my god. Yeah, that is another that is another We made Italiano for you, Bella. Oh actually we made Italiano. <laughs> yeah, we made Italiano for you, Bella. Oh actually um she already ate Rosalie crushes yeah. the bowl. Like I yeah. Yeah. Is she even Italian? Her name is Bella. Bella. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Oh so my god. Good. No, it's so good. And again, it's a perfect, it's a perfect form of that like weird, awkward type of like some this is this is this is a choice right here. Like to be this weird and awkward, because this is just like a weird and awkward relationship for them. No, I think I love that scene in the book. I love the I love the whole scene where he he brings her to his house for the first time and to like meet the family. Um mm -hmm. because actually taking it back to like the rest of the movie is filmed with like, you know, a lot of like really 
dark scenes that like because it's you know it's raining and also the coloring and whatever else but the scene where he brings her to his house it's or the scenes where she's at his house it's all light like it's all really light and oh and she even comments she's like oh wow it's really light in here and she's like what did you think we slept in coffins and like a moat she's like, no not a moat he was like not a moat okay great no can i can i quote this whole movie maybe we're not going to talk about it so like sure. you know she it like it's such a it's such a stark comparison to the rest of the film where everything is so dark and kind of like has that like overlying sense of like a dank place and then you have edward's house with all of these vampires and everything is like bathed in like bright white. Like I think literally someone said to like the costume design and the like set designer, they were like, I want everything to be as white as humanly possible because that is what your eyes are just practically blinded when they roll up to that house. Um, right. I mean, we see it for the first time when the Collins walk into the cafeteria. Yeah. Yeah. All except for Edward, who is wearing a black right. t-shirt. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, that's some subtle character imagery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, have you have you seen in any of your uh your uh researching the whole thing about um emmett and emmett's uh emmett and his eggs um no there's a whole so emmett's obviously supposed to be like he's the embodiment of a sagittarius man basically um uh just constantly causing chaos and just being like come on babe it's a joke and everything's fine you know um and when they roll up to the cafeteria for the first time, um, he's holding a bag of hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> like straight up just holding a big freezer bag of hard-boiled eggs. Um, and that has become popular, you know, in the Twilight circles as well. Just being like, you know, you know, people calling him Eggmit, you know, things like, like just people just taking that and running with it. And... I think I read an interview or I read something about an interview where they were like, why does Emmett have a bag of eggs? And she was like, well, he was just eating them. And I was like, well, this seems like an Emmett thing to do. And they sent him on the yeah. scene with a bag of eggs. I have the quote here. I saw Kellen one day carrying a bag of a dozen hard boiled eggs. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? You're not going to eat a dozen eggs, are you? I never had seen anybody carrying around a Ziploc bag of one dozen eggs and going to eat them all day long. I was just laughing so hard. I'm like, okay, Emmett has to have those eggs. You have to carry that in the sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if, it literally is like two seconds. Like if you if you blink, you miss it. But you should go back and rewatch the first cafeteria scene because you'll see Emmett and you're like, oh my God, he has a full bag of hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Absolutely. She also said that after the seed, Kellen Lutz ate those eggs because that was his real meal for the day. <laughs> Truly incredible. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of little scenes in Twilight where you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and that's one of my favorites is is Emmett and his eggs. Oh man. Yeah. I can't wait if we if we eventually get to talk about Breaking Dawn. I can't wait to talk with you about um baby puppet Renezme. You'll lose your mind oh um, yeah oh yeah but uh yeah so it's things like that Th those are the things that make twilight the film that everybody loves to watch and hate on and love and hate on nowadays like it's the emmet and the eggs it's them being in ridiculous white makeup like i don't know if that was something that you were like laughing at while you were watching it but like they're heavy 
white foundation makeup is just so funny to me every single time I watch this movie, especially as TVs get better and better and you start seeing like all the cake on makeup that they it's 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 my it's like one of my favorite things to be like someone thought this was a stellar idea and it was but now oh my god like look at all that makeup on like it looks like makeup it doesn't even look like real skin like it looks like a caked on makeup you know yeah i mean that's sort of like one tether to you know the the classical movie vampire true true exactly there's we, we we've already talked about the sparkling scene but there's also what comes right before it which is the very funny <laughs> shot of edward carrying bella on his back uh zooming through the woods and and coming to the single ray of sunshine in the entire city <laughs> true 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 actually i had thoughts about what that scene while i was watching it i was literally like how did they shoot this like, how did they shoot this? <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna talk about the scene that actually happens literally right before that, where they're in the woods and and he and he's standing behind her, and she looks like she's in the biggest form of flight or fight or flight mode, standing there, and he's like, she's like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 17. And she's like, how long have you been 17? A while. And they're just like, stand like that is another like hugely famous like really weird off-putting scene from that movie it's just like how long have you been 17 i need you to say it vampire and then they're like <laughs> like it's like oh my god you know like yeah and- that was a that was obviously a big scene in the trailer i feel like until recently when people started sharing around the baseball scene that was probably the most yeah. well-known scene from the film yeah i agree uh, with the voiceover, with the voiceover of um, what is literally on the back of the book, which is like about three things. I was absolutely positive. First, Edward was a vampire. Something about the blood, and then I'm not going to read the whole quote, but it was basically like, and there's a you know, and I was irrevocably, unequivocally in love with him. Like, I re- I remember the trailer being like mostly a lot of scenes with that quote overlaid, and then the one where they're standing in the middle of the forest. And mm-hmm. she's like, how long have you been 17? A while. Oh, man. Yeah. There's some, There's a little a little detail that uh, I thought was funny that I haven't really seen people talk about. That, like, in one of the early classroom scenes, uh, the teacher, there's like a white, it's like a diagram of some kind of sea creature. I don't remember what. But there's a little arrow that says penis. And <laughs> in the transition, it points directly at Edward's forehead. <laughs> That's, I did not, that's hysterical. I did not see that. Oh my God. Yeah. I I haven't really been able to find anyone talking about it, but that was something I noticed. I will definitely be looking for that um, when I do my rewatch. The other thing that like people talk about um, is like the, the scene in the biology classroom where like he smells her for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got the wings of the owl behind him. And there's like, yeah, like angel imagery, but like he is in a black T-shirt and looks like he wants and like is actively thinking about how he wants to drink all of her blood. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, he says you're my own. This is this is the thing about the movie that like you miss if you don't read. There's a lot of things in the movie that you miss if you don't read the book. And part of the reason why there was something you said earlier about like you, you being like, I didn't understand why this was such a big deal. And I'm like. Oh, because they didn't really properly explain why this is such a big deal. 
like mm-hmm. I re- like I know the reasoning because I read the book and I've you know I have it practically memorized but like it to someone that's just seeing the movie you would have no idea and I can't remember what it was I'm sure it'll come back to me but like this is another thing about that they don't really explain I mean he says like he's like you're my own personal brand of heroin like you know basically like the reason why he looks like he wants to he's in pain and he wants to kill her and like not with any of the other students is that like something they explain in the book is that they they have a thing called singers where like they there are people there are humans that they meet in the world whose blood calls to them more than anybody else's like the smell of their blood like they just it almost puts them like over the edge they like have to drink the blood because it's like the sweetest they'll ever taste or whatever but then also he can't read her mind right and so now he's intrigued like he so the the a lot of the the, uh, the another of the big struggles of the first book and especially you see it in midnight sun obviously from his point of view is that he's just fighting with his urge not to kill her like pretty much the entire time but you don't get that because from the movie you know not not explicitly no <laughs> So all you see, all you see is, all you see is him looking like she didn't put on deodorant just this morning with the angel wing imagery in the background and him holding his nose, um, which apparently he did not like. I like I heard an interview. He did not know the camera was rolling. He was just like yawning behind his hand or something, and then they started the scene, and he just was looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I- I thought it was a really funny uh, introduction. Like that—that's you know the first time I really get to see him perform, and I'm like, oh, this is this is gonna be like a a funny performance. <laughs> this is gonna be it. This is gonna be the whole yeah, and it is like they're like we've talked about it. Their performances are just are just like so over over the top in a way that really works yeah. vibe of the film, but it's still super over the top. I want to um, begin to draw things to a close, but I feel like I had a lot of problems with like the timeline of this movie because at first it's like the, the, the first thing that I picked up on was like when Edward disappears and she's in voiceover, she's talking about how time has passed and we, we, the, 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 like we get a flash forward, you know, time passes and we get a scene of like, there's there's ice on the driveway and the dad has to put new tires on the truck mm-hmm. and i was like okay so a couple months have passed and then we see edward again and we find out it's been like a week yeah yeah and then there's also um i mean they're talking about prom from the very beginning of the movie and then at the end when when, when prom actually happens i'm like has it been like two weeks this whole time <laughs> like i i often felt like and this is a, a writing problem i think I, I felt like they were very unclear about the timeline of everything i completely agree with you although i will say it all does happen rather quickly um in mm-hmm. the book as well but yeah i i think that i agree like there's the timeline is not something that really anyone was super because because it all comes back to that like man that's obsessed with you like mm-hmm. it's instant attraction it's like you know love at first sight but like even stronger because he's an immortal van so you have so no one was really paying attention to the timeline and it's a good call out it's a good critique like you get all these and, and she's there's a one line at the beginning of the movie where it's like you know new school at the beginning like new kid at the beginning of like in the middle of the semester yay for me that's all you get to set when the movie is it which is the right. middle of the semester. They don't tell you which semester. They just tell you the middle of the semester. Um, yeah. But 
obviously since prom is coming up, you have to assume it's the second semester, but like, again, you don't, that's not something that anyone is like pretty clear on. So it does really feel like this all takes place within like two weeks. So I, I understand, I understand your critique and I, and I, it's very valid. Um, again, if, if you hadn't, if you haven't read, that's another thing. Like if you haven't read the book that the movie didn't do a very good job of explaining, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it definitely seems like overall this uh, movie was written with the assumption that mostly fans of the book would be seeing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sum it up. You summed it up perfectly. Exactly. And I think there's a balancing act. Like, like this movie's fundamental problem is something that I think a lot, th that we see a lot more often now than we did in 2008, where on the one hand, there, there's like these this wants to make it like a kind of weird indie horror tinged you know romance and and these the you know Catherine Hardwick being a very particular director and Stuart and Pattinson being very particular actors but then there's also like this is a money machine this is twilight we have to you know get you know do, service the fans <laughs> and, and, and everything that they want to see but also you know pretend to have a kind of a kind of vision and and you know bring a director on who's going to bring that and yeah, yeah i think like in 2008 it was just like what what is this but i feel like nowadays is every blockbuster is also kind of trying to be a real movie <laughs> and and you know it's like it's you know avengers 6 or whatever but they have to sort of act like there's a vision to it right. <laughs> and i i feel like this is sort of an early blueprint of that yeah well I think Avengers is probably the the worst of the the examples that you could have come up with. Like, oh my God, do we need another Avengers movie? But um, but I definitely think because it is an early blueprint of that, like it was something that a lot of people had never seen, like a type of movie. Like, I don't think, well, mm -hmm. I'm about, I was about to say something that I'm like, I, I could be totally talking out of my ass right now. I don't know if that information is true, but like A24, I don't know when A24 started or was established, but um, it definitely wasn't, as big when you know back in the day and so you have this movie yeah. that like we said in the beginning and i've said throughout feels like it kind of a, an, an early a24 film um that obviously isn't but you have like you said a particular director that knows what she wants and and a, and a writer with source material that she's very attached to um i mean like stephanie meyer made a lot of decisions about cast especially in the later movies about casting. yeah, Stephanie Meyer was was heavily involved in like like being on set most of the time. Like she was very involved in the, in all these movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of critiques, um, valid critiques about the way that and you touched on it a little bit at the beginning. The way that she wrote, um, the Quileute tribe, and you know, the people that she hired, and the fact that like there are almost no people of color outside of the native Americans. Like I had that thought at, at the beginning of the movie, when we're introduced to Jacob, like if they had actually cast a native American, this could have been like groundbreaking. Yeah. And then again, we don't see him for the rest of the movie. So I was like, that. <laughs> all right, then yeah, no, again, they become a, a much bigger deal in movies two through four. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it, the whole thing. It's it's it, like there's obviously a lot of very valid critiques about like how involved because I he I've heard lots of things about Catherine Hardwick wanting to 
open the casting a little more and try to bring some diversity in. And Stephanie Meyer was very against that from the beginning and ref and just like kind of refused to allow people any kind of wiggle room on the book and the casting and like what she wanted. And again, like it was 2005, six, seven, something in that range. So like definitely not um, quite the same climate as we are in today, but that doesn't really matter. Like that's, it, it is a very, it is very stark difference. You know, it's, it's the same reasons. It's some of the same reasons that Harry Potter is, has been under scrutiny in the past few years, not to mention the absolutely un, unspeakable person that wrote it, but like all the, like all the things that are, you know, have, have people have started to bring to light or not bring to light, but like started to talk about more in Harry Potter. Like you can, there are similar things that definitely could be talked about and should be talked about um, with, in regards to the book and the movie. But Stephanie Meyer was heavily involved in that process. And I think a lot of it comes down to her. Um, I'm not giving that as like an excuse to give everyone else a free pass. I'm just saying like, I've heard from like a lot, not heard from, I'm about to say I've heard from different sources if I've like talked to people on the production set, but like a lot of the interviews that I've heard and stuff, like say that a lot of that had to do with Stephanie Meyer, just refusing to let anyone deviate from her vision. Um, and thankfully she found a director that could bring that vision to light for her in a way that she was satisfied with. Um, or else we probably would have had another Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thieves on our hands. Yeah, I mean, frankly, even the fact that, like, that, like, you know, she wrote the book with Henry Cavill in mind, you know, four years earlier, and they talked about <laughs> putting him in the movie. Like, they, they tried to get him in the movie in some way. That just speaks to, I think, how um, prioritized Stephanie Meyer's vision was, yeah. even though, you know, she never really thought of this as a movie. <laughs> like, like, had no experience with movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And listen, yeah. as an author, you do take a lot of, like, inspiration from real people, obviously. That does not mean that your your fan cast is going to actually be what ends up, you know, being the thing that you want it to be if you ever make it as big as Twilight, you know? Um, yeah. I also think a little beyond Stephanie Meyer, there's just the pressures of, you know, IP and like the, there's a lot of money behind this brand and there are a lot oh, of yeah. fans and yeah, you know, I, I think even if Stephanie Meyer wasn't there, there would still be that pressure, but the ideal version of this movie is definitely one where e even if it deviates much more from the book, it's one where um, a, a capable director like Catherine Hardwick and capable actors like the one that this movie has mm -hmm. can you know, create something together that they actually want to make. I agree. Completely agree. One thing that's been clear from a lot of the interviews and a lot of the behind the scenes stuff is that most of the people who worked on this movie did not enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that is the biggest understatement of the whole century. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I mean, the, the main three like became friends, but you know, they, none of them liked the, the source material. <laughs> and none of I mean, them like, liked that they were making it. Yeah, very out. They've all been very outspoken about the fact that they think Twilight sucks, <laughs> like mm -hmm. in all in all forms, um, which is very funny considering, again, how huge it is and it became and still is. You know, I'm just I'm so psyched to be able to um, talk about Twilight like this. Like, you know, I I, I do it a lot. Um, giving people no warning. So I'm very excited to actually be in a space where like this is the main topic of conversation and I really appreciate you 
having me on your podcast. This was really fun. So that's, that's, I, I think we covered a lot of the other stuff that I, I wanted to talk about. So, yeah. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a very illuminating conversation and I hope everyone listening has enjoyed it. Um, We'll, you know, you and I will be back eventually to talk about New Moon, and uh, I will be back next week with a brand new episode. I have a few uh, planned ahead now, so we're going to get back on track with those. Great. Yeah, thank you for coming. And uh, if you like the show, uh, I mean, thank you for listening, and you can uh, subscribe on Substack, follow on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, you can, you know, rate and whatever <laughs> whatever mechanisms are up there and you can uh share it with your friends let people like know you like the show that's one of the best things you can do i will see y'all next week thank you so much i disagree i disagree, I disagree. I disagree. I disagree, I disagree Gary. Gary. I disagree, Gary.